mission of Lawndale Christian Health Center is to provide primary health care services for the health center's neighboring communities. Each year, their staff of over 400 achieves that mission by providing over 192,000 visits of care. Yesterday, when I sent out the email, I had the number of 150,000, but it continues to grow. Nearly 50% of Lawndale's patients have no insurance. LCHC is the place where health care services are still financially accessible. For community residents who are seeking jobs, Lawndale is a place to secure employment. For students, Lawndale is a place to receive training. And yes, there are summer and semester internships available if you're interested in those. For their peers, Lawndale is a place to find ideas about providing health care for the underserved community. And for each of their patients and friends, Lawndale is a place where they experience the faith mission of showing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. Dr. Daisy Dowell is a pediatrician at Lawndale. She completed her medical school training at the University of Illinois Chicago of Medicine. She then completed her pediatric residency at the Comer Children's Hospital at the University of Chicago. Dr. Dowell was a non-traditional medical student, meaning she began medical school at the age of 35. She received her undergrad degree in biology and education from Loyola University, and she taught for eight years in the Chicago public school system before going to medical school. Dr. Dahl has been married for 30 years to her husband, Jasper. They have two children, Jasmine, who graduated from Harvard University and is now doing her medical residency in pediatrics at the University of Chicago. And their son, Jason, recently graduated from Southern Illinois University. Dr. Dahl will be available to speak and pray with you after chapel. We will have lunch in the cafeteria, and then she has some time this afternoon to meet with students. If you would like to talk with her, ask more about Lawndale, or just pray with her. If after hearing her speak, you would like to meet with her, please come by our office after lunch and she'll be available. This is one of the largest audiences Dr. Dow has ever spoken to. I ask that you give her your full attention and unwavering respect. I want to show a brief video about Lawndale that I included in an email that maybe most of you discarded yesterday. It's a brief video about Lawndale Christian Health Center. And at the conclusion of the video, I ask that you give Dr. Dow a very warm welcome. The strengths in this community are actually the people themselves. I absolutely love my patients. You know, the health center was really started by a group of young people from Lawndale Community Church who were trying to envision what a church should be in this community. They said, now coach, when Jesus said we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, don't you think he probably meant that churches ought to love their neighborhoods? Why should we have to keep sending our families and our neighbors to the Cook County Hospital? Why can't we start a health center here? And so that's how the health center was actually birthed, through the church. People slowly started to come and seeing that we were trying to do quality, affordable health care but it was in an atmosphere of Christian love. You know, our mission statement starts with the words to show and share the love of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation upon which we build. And that's the foundation of coming out of Lawndale Community Church. We know you. We establish a relationship with you. Your wholeness, the holistic part of you. 
what I was looking for is a clinic that looked at the whole family. So you're dealing with the social problems, the behavioral issues, uh, spiritual issues as well. Um, and it seemed like this clinic was, you know, had the staff and the support to address all of those. I, mean, I think that's the beauty of thinking about an individual holistically. Is when you stop thinking of folks as a list of problems, you also see their strengths. Those, those things that are life-giving in their lives, and you can celebrate that with them, especially when they, when they led you into that. And I think that's the beauty of medicine, it allows you that opportunity. Our clinic is mission-motivated by the mission that Jesus had to love people. I talk to them while I'm drawing their blood, talk to them about God, I talk to them about how He saved me, you know, how, you know, how powerful He is. What I strive to do is I strive to think about my patients as my family, and so I'd like to try to provide the care that I would want my family to experience. And you see people in the gym and they're like, yeah, I said I would never go to a gym, but I'm coming to Lawndale. They use the resources that's here. And, and it further opened up doors for a healthier lifestyle, not just for you, but then your neighbor. We love this idea of merging together medical care, dental care, fitness. And so we, we began to conceive of a building that would have all these things in it, where we could provide more exercise, more medical care. And so that was the need. The need really came out of the demand that existed and our desire to fulfill that demand. I mean, any type of need you need, we, we could help you. If I can't help you, I'm going to get you the resources to get you help. So we don't just care for patients in exam rooms. We provide employment that causes people to want to stay in the community who are employed people in the community. Those people become leaders. I've been here, you know, my early childhood, and then we left, and then I came back to the community, and I now live in the community now. And so I think the beauty of working at a place like Lawndale is at least we're striving to, uh, to engage that communal part. The fact that we are, uh, we're all part of something larger. Many of us in leadership live in the neighborhood. So it's where I go to church on Sunday. It's where I work Monday through Friday. It's where I play basketball. It's where I get exercise and hang out with people in our neighborhood. You have to see it to believe it. It is. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I've been taking the bus, three buses, getting up at 4.30 in the morning to come to work and I'll keep on doing it. Being a part of Lawndale Community Church, Lawndale Christian Health Center, has changed our lives. You know, that's what it's all about. You know, just, just plant the seeds and let God do the rest. And, and when you see Him do that, uh, it, it just makes all the difference in the world. This is my home. God has brought me here for a reason. Good morning. Can everyone hear me okay? All right. I praise God for the opportunity to stand before you all. I, I thank uh, Corey and, and your, your college for inviting me. Um, I thank Wayne. I, I think I thank him. Um, he's my boss. He came and spoke to you guys before for uh, encouraging Corey to uh, invite me. Um, I'm not as tall as Wayne, I'm a little darker than Wayne, uh, but we share the same love for Jesus Christ and I hope that that will come through uh, for you guys as we share today. Uh, can we just have a moment of prayer? Father God, I thank you so much for these young people that are here today. Um, I thank you for the gifts that you've placed down in them and I ask that, Lord, through this talk today, they will be encouraged to do as as the word said, to stir up the gift that is within them and to use it to, to glorify you. Now, Lord, I ask that you make me invisible and that they see only you. 
and that the Holy Spirit have them to hear the things that you would have them to hear. Settle my spirit, Lord. Allow me to continue to rest in you. For it is in you that I move, I breathe, I have my being. Oh God, there is none like you in all the earth. And we glorify you at this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. So, um, as you saw in the video, Lawndale is a very, very special place. I feel especially honored to be able to serve alongside the people that I serve with at Lawndale. All of us have stories to tell. You have your own stories to tell. You're on an adventure, um, just as I am still on an adventure. But my adventure um, had a little few different twists that now I look back and I say, wow, Lord, if you had told me you were going to do that to prepare me to do what I do now, I probably would have asked for a rain check. Uh, don't think I would have agreed to do this. But now as I look back, I see God's glorious hand on my life throughout the time that he was preparing me for such a time as this. So my story is actually the story of a little girl who had a passion for learning, who had a passion for knowledge, and the great God that she served to allow that to happen. Um, I was orphaned when I was seven. Prior to my mother's death, uh, we lived in the Henry Horner Projects. Now, many of you may not be familiar with the Chicagoland area, but you may have seen a movie once called There Are No Children Here. Uh, Oprah Winfrey did that movie, and it's also a book. That movie was about the Henry Horner Projects that uh, I lived in prior to my mother's death. It was there that my brother, at the ripe old age of seven, taught me how to respond when I heard bullets and how to drop and hit the ground and how to survive. Uh, that is a lesson that has stayed with me through this day, not the dodging bullets part, about the part about being able to survive and being a survivor. Um, after my mother died, my life changed dramatically. I was taken in by my mother's family um, that was quite dysfunctional, to say the least. It was not a very nice place uh, for a child to be growing up, uh, particularly if you were a female. But God protected me from many of the things that the enemy would have liked to have done. So I do praise him for that, that he kept me um, so that I would be pure and acceptable for my husband. Um, but anything you wanted to buy in our home, you could buy. Anything and anybody was pretty much for sale. Uh, but God kept me and he protected me, so I thank him for that. Um, the biggest problem that I had was that in our family, people were, for the most part, illiterate. My grandmother could not read nor write. My aunts, who were teenagers uh, at the time, about 13, 14 years old, had already began having children, which at the time that I was coming up, public aid was a little bit differently. If you had more children, uh, you got more money. And so that was one of the ways that sometimes people would uh, make sure their financial needs were met. However, it fell to me to raise those children. So at the age of seven, I found myself with two children to raise. By the time I was nine, I had three children to raise. And that meant that uh, sometimes I was not permitted to go to school because they were my responsibility. Uh, to further complicate matters, they had their addictions and I had mine. 
And my addiction was books. I know that doesn't sound real pretty and exciting to you guys, but my addiction was, was books. And um, my grandmother in particular felt threatened by that because I could read and write and they could not. Um, so they tried all kinds of ways to break me of my addiction. They tried beating it out of me. They tried shaming it out of me. They tried cursing it out of me. They tried restricting me from school. And when I couldn't go to school, I just played school with my children. I know that sounds sick that I was eight or nine. I still think of the girls as my girls. Um, so we played school. They didn't care as long as I kept the kids out of their way. So we played school. And I got to read them stories uh, from books that I'm sure at the ages of two and three, they had no idea what the words <laughs> meant. Um, and when they stopped that, then I would read the back of the ingredients of the boxes of the things that I had to cook. Now, once you learn to decipher a word like monosodium glutamate, <laughs> you probably can read pretty well. And uh, that's probably where I got my love of chemistry. <laughs> Not that I'd encourage people to be eating a lot of that. Um, <laughs> and I remember that word in particular because it was very costly. I remember I was supposed to be cooking. Uh, we had a, a, about nine or ten people living in our home. And uh, even at nine or ten, I was still expected to do some cooking and dishwashing and everything. And I was cooking rice-a-roni. I'll never forget this. And I was trying to read the, trying to sound out that word and the whole kitchen filled with smoke. That's how long it took me to <laughs> decipher it. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, uh, my grandmother was standing over me in the kitchen and the rest of that story was not pretty. So I did learn to multitask and I did learn to be a good cook and I did learn how to read chemical terms. Uh, so God can bring something out of anything if you allow him. In James uh, chapter one, verse 22, we are, called to be uh, doers of the word and not hearers only. And that means that when we see things around us that are not quite right, that we have an obligation to do what the word says, and that is to take the steps necessary to help uh, ensure justice. The other thing that the word tells us in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 through 48, is that to whom much is given, much is required. And that is in the context of God saying in his word, I'm so serious about you using the gifts that I give you, that should you not, and you know better, then you will be beaten with many stripes. And if you don't know, um, I still hold you responsible for that gift, and you will be beaten with few stripes, but to whom much is given, much is required. So some of you in the room may know the Lord, and you may really have a very close relationship, and you're just here trying to, you know, find out what your gifts are and how you can use those gifts for him. And I praise God for you, and I encourage you to do that. And some of you in the room may not quite know the Lord yet, but you are not absolved from developing your gift and using that gift to make this world a better place. You would fall into the group that maybe you didn't know um, as well. So, back to uh, what eventually happened to me is, by the time I was 13, it became very clear that two things were going to happen if I stayed there. One, I was either going to be sold against my will, or I was going to be made to bear a child, because my grandmother had made it clear to me 
that once I turned 12 um, and I finished grammar school, I was in high school uh, at 13, um, that it was time for me to pull my weight as a woman. And there began to be more and more pressure from her bringing people in who, and placing me in situations where uh, the opportunity was there for me if I had wanted to take it of my own free will to pull my weight as a woman, as my grandmother would have said. Um, and also at that point, there were five children that I was taking care of, uh, which meant I couldn't go to school very much. Um, so I knew that I was either going to be sold against my will, and I was, going to, I was definitely going to be kicked out of the high school I was at. It was a college prep high school. Um, I had tested for and been accepted. But because of my attendance, my grades were failing, and they had made it clear that they had a waiting list for people who wanted to go to that school. They did not have to tolerate my attendance there, my poor performance. And they had made it clear that if things didn't get better, uh, I was going to be expelled. So I ran away from home um, after um, my, uh, an episode happened where my brother was being beaten by one of my aunts who was mentally ill. And I had never defended myself against them, but I've never been able to bear seeing another person uh, mistreated. So before I knew it, I um, had grabbed a broom and I began to strike my aunt to get her off my brother. And we took off running for the door. And I had been praying for seven years, Lord, are you just able to save us from sin? My mother had made sure I learned at least that verse before she passed. It was Matthew 1:21, And she shall bring forth a son. And she shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Can you only save from sin? What do you do when you're constantly seeking God for deliverance, for help, and yet you continue to suffer? What, does that mean he doesn't love you? Does it mean he doesn't hear you? Is he only able to save from sin? I had those questions. And you might as well be real with the Lord, because he knows anyway. So you might as well, I mean, it's no need in hiding, just, you know, just be real. Just do you? He knows you anyway, you know? You get before the Lord and you're, oh, Heavenly Father, you're so precious, you're so wonderful. And he knows that you're bleeding and you're oozing and you're just mad and you feel like saying, you know, Lord, this is really jacked up. Can doctors say, okay. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm just going to do me, I'm sorry. I only know how to do me, okay? Um, but, you know, I'm seriously, it's just messed up. I mean, it's just no other way to, you know, just call a spade a spade. This is messed up, and you might as well tell him. Um, because he knows. He's just waiting for you to stop all your fronting and just be real. Okay? Um, <clears throat> but I digress. <laughs> That's just how he and I are. You know, he, what you see is what you get. Um, but... Uh, my, my point being that if you continue um, to go through, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that God has not heard you. Sometimes vessels of honor, uh, if you're going to be a vessel of honor, you're going to be in the fire. Some things have to be in the fire a little bit longer than others. And, and it doesn't feel great when you're there, but, you know, 
when you come out on the other side, he, he will help you to understand that. So I didn't know that he was preparing me. Um, I do now, but I didn't then. So I ran away from home and found out that I was wanted by the police because my aunt had filed assault charges against me. And all I wanted to do, I was just trying to go to school. I was just trying to, you know, do what was right. I was trying to be a good kid. I just, I don't know, I just couldn't watch her beat him. Um, so I was wanted for assault, and I was also wanted as a runaway. So my mother's friend, who I had gone to uh, when we ran away, she said, Daisy, you know you're not going to be able to stay away from school. She, you know, I mean, my addiction. Um, and she said, what's going to happen is you're going to go back to school, and the police are going to come to school, and they're going to take you out in handcuffs in front of all your classmates, and you're going to really be ashamed. So I suggest that you turn yourself in. So I turned myself in, and there I was, 13, at the police station uh, with charges being brought against me. All I'm trying to do is just be a good kid and, you know, all this stuff is happening. And sometimes in our lives we go through things, not because we've done anything wrong. Um, you, people may look at your life sometimes and say, oh, you, you must be really doing something wrong. You must not know the Lord. You must not be walking right. You may very well be walking the right way. Um, sometimes the enemy is just given permission to bring an attack, but God uses that for our good. Eventually, I ended up being a ward of the state uh, in Chicago. It's DCFS. I don't know what you guys call your child protective services here. But I went into uh, foster care. And my mother's friend, bless her heart, she had four or five other kids. But she agreed to get us out of foster care, my brother and I. And my agreement with her was, if she would, all I asked is to be able to go to school. She could keep my checks whatever the state gave her, to take care of her children, and I would find a way to take care of myself. So she agreed, and we did go to stay with her. I was allowed to go to school. Um, because I had skipped some years in school, I had a high school ID that said I was uh, a sophomore going to my junior year. So they assumed I was 16, and I lied. I did. I lied on my application, and I put my age up. And I worked for the government, <laughs> U.S. Customs. Thank God they didn't have all those computers uh, <laughs> back then. But I worked for the government during the summers uh, doing clerical work, and I saved all my money over the summers, and I took care of myself during the school year. And that was going pretty well until I turned 16 and it was time to go to college. At that point, my guardian decided that I was too young to be going to college. She refused to sign my acceptance letter um, to Loyola. She refused to allow me to go to college. And I, I don't know if that was just a teen gene and I was just being stubborn or if like other addictions, my addiction continued to drive me, but I went anyway. Um, I got someone, and she knows this um, now, <laughs> I got her oldest child um, to sign her name to my acceptance letters 
so that I could go to, to Loyola. What I didn't know is that because I was a minor, I couldn't sign for financial aid, I couldn't get any loans. You know, I was just kind of on my own there, and my guardian decided that she would not send me any support. If I got cold enough in Chicago, if I got hungry enough, I'd come home. And I felt like I would rather die than not have my education, and that was not going to happen. So I worked two part-time jobs, and I carried 19 to 24 semester hours uh, per semester while I was at Loyola, which, of course, hurt my GPA um, and was probably one of the reasons why, when I was 18, I applied to medical school for the first time. Uh, that was probably one of, part of the reason was that I was a teen. Part of the reason was that I was African-American and a woman, and at that time, the, the racial climate was very different from medical school. And part of the reason was that my grades uh, weren't as strong as they could have been or, or would have been. But I did refuse to go uh, back home. And for the first time, I stood up for myself and I asked for an attorney. And I went to court and I sued my guardian to become an emancipated minor. Um, the courts granted that to me. and. Um, she had to hold the money and send half or whatever, but that was also something I counsel young people against doing now. If they're in a state ward, I tell them don't apply for emancipation because you're essentially an adult, uh, which meant I couldn't, the state would have had to pay some money for my education, and I didn't know that. When I became emancipated, I was literally on my own. Uh, but God kept me. He took care of me, and he uh, brought me through that. Um, I did spend a year, uh, part of a year, living in an abandoned house because I couldn't afford housing. I've been homeless on two continents, uh, here and in Germany. Um, but God kept me. That's the theme I want you to, to take from this. God is a keeper. He will keep you. Um, so after that, I got married. Um, the children came, and I said, Lord, I know you've called me to be a doctor. But because of what happened to me as a child, please let me raise my children first, then I'll go. So eventually I became a teacher, and that was a wonderful ministry. If anyone in here is interested in becoming a teacher, I, I applaud you. You will be going to one of the most needed fields uh, for Christian ministry that I can think of. Uh, but God allowed me to teach, and then one day he reminded me when my daughter got in eighth grade, he reminded me of my promise, and he said, it's time. So I went back to medical school at the age of 35, having been out of school almost 15 years, not sure if I could walk in cold and, and handle the rigors of medical school, but God took care of all of that. He took care of all of that. So what is it that I've would like for you to take from that experience that God walked me through. I'd like for you, for you to understand that sometimes God has a calling on your life and it may cost you something. The question is, are you willing to pay the price? Will it cost you? Yeah. Will you want to quit? Oh, yeah. There'll be times you'll want to quit. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. It's totally worth it. 
So how did I answer that call? How do we answer that at Lawndale? You saw various people in various capacities in the video. Um, it really doesn't matter what you do at Lawndale. If you're a greeter, God can use your gifts. If you work in the lab, God can use your gifts. How does God use my gifts? Uh, one of the passages that the Lord has given to me, I'm going to read this briefly. Um, it's from Joshua 1, 13b, uh, 14b through 15a. And it really is a call for me to serve my people in my community. I serve at North Lawndale. Lawndale Christian has four sites. South Lawndale is primarily uh, Hispanic. North Lawndale is primarily African American. Um, then we have a, a clinic in one of the high schools that's largely uh, Hispanic and then our Archer Heights site. I love all people. I love we're all made in God's image. But I feel called to come back into the African-American community and serve my people. And the scripture that the Lord has put in my heart comes from uh, Joshua 1, when the Israelites were about to cross over, but the Reubenites and the Gadites uh, wanted to stay back where they were. And Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Then it goes on to say, you are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as God has done for you, until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord God is giving them. So for me, that means just, it can't be me, my four, no more. Okay, I, I would encourage you not to have that mentality. If God brings you through, you have a responsibility to look out for those that are coming behind you, to encourage them in their gifts, to let them know that the same God that brought me through, that protected me, that met my needs, can do the same for you. I am so indebted to our Savior. There is nothing that he can ask of me that I can say, that I will say no to. When the Lord called me to go to Haiti to serve uh, with the Haiti Orphans Project, it came out of those experiences. I know firsthand what it is like to be an orphan. Um, and I'm trying to keep it together here because I really do feel passionately about the mighty hand of God that's been on my life. And I feel so honored and privileged because he didn't have to take that little dirty girl from Inglewood, from the projects. He could have picked someone else. He didn't have to pick me for his team. If God calls you to do something, don't, oh, God, I guess I'd do it if nobody. No, he doesn't have to pick you for the team. Praise God, you've been picked for his team. You've been picked for his team. If you ever play basketball or something and it's a pickup game or, or when you were younger, uh, dodgeball, and no, you, you hoping somebody picks you for their team. Like, you hope that they pick you. Um, and you felt so great when they finally picked you. Well, that's how it is. With, we should be that way with the Lord. He, he picked us. So I'm so honored and so indebted. He, didn't, he did not have to do that. I have a brother who I love dearly. Um, unfortunately for him, he took the same addictions as our family had taken. Um, I love him and he loves me, but we're on two different paths. So I know that... He didn't have to pick me. For the grace of God, that, that would be me. Um, it's very real for me. So I would encourage you to discover and develop your gifts and use those for the Lord. 
Um, at Lawndale, we have a variety of ways that people help discover their gifts, that they are encouraged to use their gifts, whether it's administration. Um, we have a, a development corp that actually deals in real estate. Uh, we now have a legal uh, ministry there uh, for people who are interested in doing law. Aside from all the things we do with our health ministries, uh, I do something called Centering Parenting, which is group-centered uh, physicals for the babies and their moms. I work with a social worker uh, for those clinic visits, th that team. So if you're interested in social work uh, or if you have a heart for the underserved, there are a variety of ways you could do that uh, at Lawndale. But there are a variety of ways you could do it in the community. Um, some of the other ways that God uses the gifts he's given for, to me is that I'm very active in child advocacy. Uh, I understand what it's like to be in the DCFS system. I understand how children can fall through the cracks, and I am not afraid to challenge the caseworkers and the DCFS investigators if they are not doing a good job with my patients, if I feel that my patients are not getting uh, proper treatment, and if my young people are being sh shifted into the system when they should not be, I'm not afraid to challenge that. Why am I not afraid? I'm not afraid of my life. Why? Well, I've been up close and personal with a gun at least three times that I was not holding. The enemy has tried multiple times to kill me from everything from carbon monoxide poisoning to car accidents. Um, so I know from that I'm not leaving this world until God says so. So it gives me a fearlessness, okay? Uh, if the enemy was going to take me out, he should have did it, you know, well before now because my life is not my own. I realize that. And you also need to have that conviction. You will not leave this world until God says so. You need not fear what man can do to you. You need not fear that. Um, so um, aside from the things I mentioned at, at Lawndale, there's a whole world of things out there. But if you don't remember anything else that I say to you today, I want to challenge you, first of all, ask God to help you to understand what your gift is. And then stir up that gift and determine to use it for the glory of God. If you do not know the Lord, I encourage you to just ask him, you know, if you're real, show yourself real. You know, just challenge him. He's not standing in the corner like the Wizard of Oz with his knees knocking, afraid you're going to find out he's a phony. Challenge him. Tell him. You know, I don't know about this religion thing. I see my classmates, they have their hands raised, they talk the Jesus talk, you know, walk the Jesus walk, they walk alike, look alike, talk alike. I just feel different. If you're different, praise God. It's okay to be different. It took me a long time to realize, to learn that. I always felt like something was wrong with me. My family always told me something was wrong with me. You, you think you're a white girl. You think you're better than everybody else. Everybody was a mind reader except me. They all could say what I thought. I couldn't tell what anybody thought. Um, but it's okay. God made me different. He may have made you different. Okay, I'm not saying if you're walking around, you know, with aluminum foil on your head, you really are different. Okay, not that kind of different. Okay, but if you, you march to the beat of a little different drummer, um, it, it, it's okay. Learn to do you. Learn to find your gifts. Learn to be a blessing to others. Whether you're a Christian or not, God has given you a gift. Stir up your gift. Stir up your gift.
stir up your gift. God bless you.